1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, and then 23 to 25. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breadth in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almagwood and precious stones. And the king made of the almagwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almagwood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. And then skipping down to verse 23. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Good to have you with us today for those who are, especially who are visiting. And um, we have been going through Kings, and we continue uh, through the book of Kings in this sermon series. And last week, we got a sobering message from chapter 9 about our call to holy relationship with a holy God. It's kind of a sandwich, right? Chapter 9, sobering. Chapter 10, soft and delicious, right? And then chapter 11, be some more sobering information. So let's enjoy chapter 10 this week. So we back up off the heavy stuff a bit to an episode that once again highlights Solomon's wisdom and fame. The Bible tells us from our reading that a queen visits Solomon from Sheba, which is modern-day Yemen, which is in the southernmost, well, there's some debate, southernmost tip of the Arabian Peninsula right across from Ethiopia. Now, there's debate because anytime you talk about Northern Africa in this age, there's a debate whether it was Africa or Northern Africa or Arabia, you know. You know why there's a debate. I don't have to get into that. Right across from Ethiopia is where most people, most people believe she lived. And the Bible tells us that this obviously wealthy and stately monarch in her own right came to visit Solomon. Because she had heard, right, about his fame and wisdom and knowledge and competency. And that the reports from her tradesmen, because there was trade going on between the two countries, were, were so incredulous that, that she could not rest until she saw it herself. So she traveled 
some 1,400 miles with full entourage to visit and pay, pay tribute to the great King Solomon, to visit and, 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 and see him. It, it is safe to say King, Queen Makeda, her Ethiopian name, came to get and gain knowledge her money, wealth, Ethiopian education, and royal standing could not get her. It's like finding a good restaurant with good food and somehow describing how it made you feel and, and the taste and the smells. But any description of a good restaurant always ends with what? You just need to go and taste for yourself. And today in the generation and age of no now, right? where we are largely addicted to knowing, to seeing, to experiencing things far away. We go wherever the no can be found, right? Through our smartphones and screens and Google searches and series and a thousand television channels and all sorts of multimedia outlets and inlets, we can actually travel 1,400 miles in a minute and never leave home to see and to learn and to know. But even with that, even with that, combine with all your degrees and diplomas and even years of experience in something like Queen Makeda discovered, I must let you know that we have not gotten and seen half of all there is. And all that we must, right, hopefully like she experienced, we will learn, right, that, 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 that in and of ourselves we will always fall and live short in what we know. And our earthly knowledge will never be enough to cure our impossibly broken hearts and world until and unless, like her, like she did, we personally see hear from, be with, and experience the wisdom of God's king. With that said, there are three things I want us to see about knowing for our note, as note takers, about competency, about seeing, about understanding. First, God calls us to know. He calls us to understand. He calls us to be competent as human beings. Secondly, we are cursed in our knowledge. Broken and knowing, cursed and being competent. And finally, God sends a cure for the curse of knowing. Call, curse, and cure of knowing. First, God calls us to know, to learn, to see, to experience. Ready, my serious note takers again? Subpoint A, he calls us to know to, in order to love and enjoy his creation. Subpoint B, he calls us to know to love and enjoy each other. Look at verse 1 through 5 again. Let's read it. And, and when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with, with, with camels bearing spices, spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers and his burnt offerings that he offered in the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And I must admit, I'm picking up on things that we read about Solomon early in this book about Solomon having wisdom and birds and plant life and all that stuff. And then he writes in Ecclesiastes about all he experienced and knew as a king in those experiences, right? In, in, in those disciplines. Solomon, it is clear from what we read here, was given wisdom and know-how from God in order to love and enjoy the world in which he lived. To know how to enjoy and use stuff. To enjoy and use everything in and, 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 and every way God had created this world to be so. He was the most renaissance and fully resourceful, preserving and properly organized and managed person that ever lived. He experienced the zoo and the stock market, right? He was competent in oil and in polar bears. 
And the queen came to know how what God had given him in wisdom helped him to put it all together, to love, care for, use, explore, and enjoy the world. She might have had all that Solomon had and basic stuff like horses and camels and gold and servants and all that, but she noticed how he used them and how he enjoyed them and how he got fullness and depth and answers and good and love out of them. I was talking to someone the other day about how believers uh, should, uh, that's your Christian church people, uh, should interact and engage in the world. Man, we love this stuff. We'll get back to it next week. We need to be careful there too. How we should interact and engage in the world, right? And I can tell you, based on what we see here, regardless of how many degrees and sophistication you have or may not have, because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we believe in the Holy Spirit around here. The Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God personified, right? Christ personified, given through the Holy Spirit, lives in the hearts of believers. Therefore, there should be no greater listeners or purveyors or aficionados or or Renaissance types alive to the arts, conservation, nature, business, than believers who have been given divine access through the Holy Spirit to see and know and experience this world in the fullness God has provided for us. Get this, your God created the world, believers. He created things to shine, right, and dance and click together and function like clockwork and taste and have color and flavor, right? And he created us to know and see that stuff, to research it, to dig it, dig into it and pull out of it to touch it, right, to be informed about its quantities and qualities and properties. Believers should be the most active, curious watchers and listeners and hearers, scientists and seers in the world because what? They have wisdom and freedom, according to the Word of God, from the God of vision, technology, sound, and medium himself. But there's more in God's gift of wisdom. And the call God has put us put in us to know. Not only are we called to know, to love, and enjoy the creation, we are called to know in order to love and enjoy each other. Look at verse 3 again. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Verse 2 said that she brought him her hard questions. Brought him her hard questions. And then look ahead at verses 8 and 9. He says here, happy are your men, Solomon. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you. And hear this, set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then verse 24 tells us that God put the wisdom Solomon had into his head. And that according to what Queen Makeda saw, that gift of knowledge, of knowing, and the way God gave it to and for Solomon, guess what it was used for? To love, enjoy, and care for others. She says that his servants were happy, and the nation knew they were loved by God, and especially so because of what, because of what we see in verse 9, that his wisdom, God's knowledge through him, was used, that his knowledge was used again to bring justice and righteousness to the kingdom, to others who came to visit, right? Not to mention what happens when the queen visits. He gave to others. He, he knew things for them. He knew things for their good to give to them. In verse 13, it says that the queen of Sheba returned to her own land. In the way this sentence is, comes together, it means this. This is a trade society. And people don't return home until the trade is sufficient. She might have given him gold and camels. But he gave, right? He served her. And her nation and her leadership, with the love and attention and knowledge that God gave him, she went back better to and in her world because of the wisdom he had that God had given to be shared. 
The Bible says that he answered all of her hard questions on anything she asked for, it, for in wisdom and offering. He was relationally generous and shaped benevolent relationship with it. With it. Wisdom was a trade tool for careful and caring diplomacy that God gave to be freely traded again for human good and love. The same for believers, you believers who have the wisdom of God by the Holy Spirit at work in your minds and hearts. God has called us to be among the world's, world's best listeners and watchers of culture and music and society and policy and social movements and business and up on things. Yeah, we should be reading and listening and hearing to be wise and use that God-infused knowledge and wisdom. For what reason, though? To bring and become competent mediators of justice and righteousness, and happiness. Yes, happiness and human flourishing and peace and relationship and care to the world. I've brought this up a number of times that it was the church who originally institutionalized away from the rich only hospitals and education and even advocacy in, in public matters that doctor, doctors and teachers and lawyers would be just, justly and righteously used for all people. Those were believers in the church who instituted those things broadly. They used their know-how. They used their wisdom. They used their insight to make sure people were cared for. Things should not be any different today. Maybe you are not called to sit on the throne of Israel. Just maybe. Or be the president. Maybe you're just called to sit on the stoop outside your house. Or sit in the office at Wells Fargo. Or sit on the, at the park with the other stay-at-home parents in conversation. Or maybe you have the luxury to sit up in the coffee shop all day. Or in front of Google search or Facebook. Or in the lunchroom at school or whatever. You are in place getting knowledge, using your wisdom for the good of others. The largest women's rally nationally happened this weekend. They say over half a million women marched for women's dignity and rights going forward. Believers should be in the know about why and what was going on and what they should be doing, and what they should be saying. So many times we're so ignorant about what's really going on, what issues are really being said. You know what we like to say, some of us more conservative um, evangelicals? Oh, it's just, the, it's just the liberal media, right? That's the answer for everything. It's the liberal media again. It's that liberal agenda again. What a, just a dumb answer sometimes. And it's not dumb just because it's dumb. It's dumb because you're not seeking to really help anybody. If it is the liberal media, that's just like I'm opting out of this situation. Right? We use our wisdom. Again, I'm not even dogging the fact that it might be something liberal going on. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there is something anti-godly going on. I don't know. But you should know, right? And if it is, you should be able to know enough to do what? Serve with justice and mercy and righteousness. Not just some critique where you drop the mic. Christians don't drop the mic. God alone drops the mic. We should be in the fix. But the point is knowledge and wisdom has been given and made available to you for the asking for people to come with hard questions. To seek and find and learn and experience by God, not for yourself, not just to sit up smart and show off. Saying things with Christianese language to keep it above the fray. Man, the hardest thing, and we talk about this with our seminary students and our interns, the hardest thing about preaching a sermon after coming out of seminary is deconstructing the language, y'all. It's hard. Sometimes you can be no earthly good, but for justice and righteousness for human beings, for the beauty and joy and peace and love and worth of people all around you. God is saying knowledge is a gift to love and enjoy his holy creation and each 
other. That is all good. But when you see Solomon and all that his knowing got him and all the different things there are to know, and trust me, in chapter 11, dude knows a lot of different kind of things. We'll get to. You should be a little nervous and afraid that no one man should have all that knowledge. I didn't say power. This ain't Kanye up in here. No one man should have all that knowledge and that much wisdom that brings that much fame, right? Because ever since our original parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God by eating of the tree, yeah, you guessed it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a.k.a. the tree of human independent competence and pride, a.k.a. the tree of I got this, a.k.a. the tree of I'm good, I know. Now, knowing, being competent is both a blessing and a curse that we all struggle with because, again, here my note takers, subpoint A, because we are tempted to be God. In subpoint B, we are tempted to be like God. Look at verse 1 again. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And then verse 5, right? Uh, let's see if I can find it. It's kind of small. The food of his table, the seating, when she saw all the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendant, attendant, attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And then look at verse 8 again. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then finally, I'm going to read it again, verse 23. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, here's peace, which God had put into his mind. It's clear. You see it. I'm just walking you through what you already see. Y'all smart. It's clear that the wisdom and knowledge and competency Solomon showed off to the queen of Sheba and what she saw was a knowledge that not only originated from God, but was designed to give glory and point back to God. To make God famous and known. Right? It's, it's, uh, try not to jump to next week's sermon. It's almost like a kid going to school with some really expensive shoes. You don't say, man, that kid got a good job. Right? <laughs> I know that ain't true with my kids. You, you don't say, you know, when that kid walks in with a nice shirt, man, that kid must really be working a good 40-hour-a-week job. You say, wow, this kid's parent or parents must be spoiling them. No, it must have money, right? <laughs> yeah, we say that. So Solomon's wealth and glory and wisdom was so people could say, wow, your father must be rich. But in the world in which they lived, like we live in today, people seek to gain wisdom and know-how and be competent to control and run their world their way. Not according to God, as it says in verse 1 here, not concerning the Lord wisdom. And when we seek to be God in our knowing, thinking that if we get it, then we got it, and we got this, then it will result in what we have seen in our lives in the world over and later in Solomon's life, disaster and ruin, not loving and bringing justice and righteousness to others, but using what we know and our know-how to build and glorify and bring pleasure to ourselves. Let me let you know, I'm not one of those, even though I like the shows, I'm not one of those fear that the a la Terminator, the machines are going to take over, Right? Because we're going to use our wisdom so well that we're going to build machines that are going to take us over. Right? Even though it's, yeah, I'm not getting into that. Ooh, 
my mind can go, y'all. I love those. I, be, I believe, sometimes I be believing that we're going to create the planet of the apes or zombie land or something like that. But I don't really. So, um, and, but I don't believe that stuff. But if we seek to be on top of things, on top of the world instead of the Lord, in order to stay above the pain and depression and the neediness and the suffering by being sovereignly omnicompetent, we will suffer terrible pain, loss, sin, loneliness, and emptiness, and then we will create institutions and systems in which the people we have knowledge in order to give to won't be able to get it. We will sustain poverty. That's why the Queen of Sheba was so impressed. Wow, you're so wise. You got everything, and your people are happy. They're serving you day and night, and they have smiles on their faces because she knows this is unusual that someone would have that much know-how and know how to manipulate and manage people. Manipulate, management, same gift set, just one's good, one's bad, same person, right? Like, they'd be able to manipulate and manage that well without crushing people. Don't happen like that. It's unusual. That's what made it such a wonder. this passage, Solomon's wisdom doesn't just bring God attention. And here's the danger, y'all, in offering praise. It brings Solomon's glory. People, I didn't read it all. You read it, Anna read it. It brings him sacrifices and gold and offerings and praise and honor from the world. It's God's wisdom, but it got him on the scene, y'all. It made him a superstar. Get this. God's wisdom, the knowing, affords Solomon the ability and puts King Solomon in the proverbial driver's seat to eat and live and be followed, to be the center of attention, to, to, to be trusted, to live in a lap of divine luxury for, for what we can see just like a God on earth. And that kind of competent, glory-getting, honor-getting, luxury-getting, attention-getting, manipulating ability, wisdom for broken, fallen people can be a curse. Because of sin, y'all. And every single one of you have it. I, I, I hate to give you the prognosis today. I got the worst news you could ever hear that any doctor could ever tell you in a closed room. You got sin. <laughs> and it ain't going away until you die and rise again. Right? It's in your body. Right? Because of sin, that's everybody. We are all tempted in some way to be like God. To fool yourself that you know enough to be centered and separate or better or greater than others or the illusion that you are self-surviving and beating and ahead of the world and it's drag and dirt and brokenness that yes, in your smartness and cunningness and brilliance and street smarts and grades and how people seek you out, you're the golden child in your family, your common sense that you have won and stand over this broken world that, that somehow you wear the crown and belt of kicking butt in the world and taking names and not needing help. That you have outsmarted and outschemed and, and beat mediocrity and dilemma and religion even. You're not religion. You know, you, you're above religion. You're smart now. You've beat tabloid and tradition and boredom and loneliness and poverty and insecurity, right? You beat them like the last two versions of Ronda Rousey, Right? The world and all your problems came in with swag, and you believe you have outswagged and outswung them, right? It's true. I'm one of you. We all want to live in the rush and glory of personal success and honor and satisfaction of knowing only like God does in knowing it all. It's the curse. Some of us earthly and philosophical types were like the mid-19th century American transcendentalist, Henry David Thoreau. As he declared, I quote, 
I went into the woods. Some of y'all like the woods. Not me. Unless I'm going to fish and then come back. I, I like the woods to fish and hike. But I don't like to stay in there like some of y'all. Y'all like to stay a week. So what's that four-letter word? Camp. <laughs> I like base camp. I don't like just camp. Henry David Thoreau said, kind of a wealthy, you know, smart guy. So don't get confused, all right? He still drives the most expensive Subaru, okay? Even though he likes camping. even though he sews his own clothing, okay, and lives in Asheville or something. Okay, let me, let me finish. This is wrong. This is wrong. Or lives in Charlotte to work but goes to Asheville a lot. Okay, I can't stop. I'm on a roll here. So he said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life. He's smart, y'all. Listen to him and see if I could not learn what it had to teach or not. When I came to die, discover that I have not lived I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. Nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. To live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life. To cut a broad swath and shave close. To drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. Ooh, that sounds so good to our humanness. Well, others of us, others of us, we don't like camping. We're more the urban, creatively rugged, like American hip-hop transcendent icon Jay-Z, who in the song Monster put it this way. Sasquatch, Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness, Goblin, Ghoul, a zombie with no conscience. Question, what do these things all and have, have in common? Everybody knows I'm a monster. Conquer, stomp you, stop your silly nonsense, nonsense. None of you know where the swamp is, right? Ooh, right? I like the way Luda put it. I'm coming for that number one spot. Just, yeah. I'm sorry, y'all. Henry David Thoreau didn't do it to me like that. <laughs> I majored in English. I, I read, I read Walden Pile. I read all that, man. But nothing gets you like some of that. Watch out, look out. Number one, okay, anyway. But before Thoreau and Jay, right, Solomon himself said this in Ecclesiastes. The king, right? Solomon. He said, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I quote him, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. He was in the woods too. All that is done under heaven. He was in the urban context too. And he says this, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who, who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience, he said, of wisdom and knowledge. He goes on, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. Nothing is what he means. For in much wisdom is much vexation. He says this, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. See? Henry and Jay didn't finish it out like Scripture does for us. You ever wonder what in large part goes into an addiction, whether porn or work or sex or alcohol or unhealthy exercise or relating and relationships, or, or whether you can't stop searching for more online, on Facebook, on Google, or even, you know, you know that kind of dopamine rush of, of oh, man, they, they, they say it's, it's chemically it's a dopamine rush when you search and you get what you want. It's like taking drugs. 
just through Google. And they said there's a greater rush when you type it in. Now, get this. This is so weird how technology works. When you type it in and the rest of it finishes it out. Oh, I wanted to know how far Queen of Sheba traveled. So I went in my search engine. How far did the Queen of Sheba travel? Oh, hit me again. <laughs> Why? Because I want to know. The fact that I can know, the fact that is right there has become an addiction, y'all. We're laughing. It's an addiction. I can't stop. When Clemson won a national championship, I couldn't stop knowing how many different angles there were just wanted to know. You know what you want? You want to see it all and know it all. Now. Without being sanctified in the process. You, some of you are even addicted to being a center of attention. You know stuff just so you can talk. I know I do. When I find out I don't know something, at the next staff meeting, I'll know. I might be quiet, but I'll be talking again. Right, we want to be the center of attention. Why do you think I got a master in divinity to become a pastor? To sit up here, to be the center of attention. No, not really. God called me. <laughs> right, or when we believers, we lie to ourselves. And this is hard. Oh my gosh, because some of my best shows are starting up. We watch all sorts of edgy TV. Entertainment and drink too much. And call it enjoying God's creation. I'm just enjoying God creation. Can you give me a ride home? I didn't know enjoying God's I didn't know God's grace came in six packs. Wow. I'm not against. I'm not trying to say drinking alcohol is wrong or sin. But we love to engage in TV and entertainment. Yeah, you know, I watched this great show. But, and I heard myself the other day. I really found this great series on Netflix. But don't watch season one because it's just way too much sex. What? So somehow I think I'm okay because I, I, I'm, I'm an active, intelligent listener. I'm a sophisticated watcher. It don't affect me. Tell Solomon that with his 300 wives. not only the pain of knowing too much in the wrong way, but knowing to be like or be God, or trying to know enough to fix yourself like God, or thinking you got it, being too, it's about addiction in large part is about trying to be like God and fix yourself like God, being too much for you to handle, blowing your mind and heart away. It's disc rupturing, herniating to the heart and soul, God-sized knowledge lifting. I watched a short, I read, I don't know if I read it or watched it, short story episode when there was a janitor at a university who could suck everything in in any room he went to. So he, his janitor was cleaning, and one day he walked in the math room, ah, right? And so the math, the math professor comes in, and he's like, let me tell you something. And he fixes it, like he solves the problem, right? Then he walks into the philosophy room, and he knows all of philosophy, walks to the science room. And then one day they said, sir, we need you to clean the library. Dude walked into the library. His head almost exploded, right? And so they had this big test set up for him. Like, Holy, we can't believe it. There's no way. You have third grade education. And they start interviewing him. And at first he started off great, but then he couldn't figure the difference between fiction and fact between literature and science. He just spritting out information like, this dude's crazy, right? So it turns out he ran outside because he's going crazy, and these aliens come, whoop, suck all the knowledge out of his head. Okay. Why did I tell that illustration? Because I think it was good. <laughs> Next week, as we have already seen, seen this week, and what we see in Sheba and Solomon is the subtle dangers and curse of knowing it's too much for a sinful person to know and live knowing like they think they're God and knowing to experience this world like God. God has experienced and knows it all in a good God holy way, right? 
you're not supposed to. <laughs> you can't handle it. God has given you rules. He's given you guidelines for living because he knows you can't handle all that you will know. But I promise this week's passage, unlike where next week's passage will lead, has a happy ending. Because <laughs> this is not about how Solomon knows and suffers and fails. That's, again, next week. But how the Queen of Sheba knows. Which brings us to our final point. God cures the curse of knowing, ironically, by our knowing. Okay, ready, note takers? By our knowing, subpoint sub A, our knowing God. And subpoint B, by our knowing, we are known by God. Right? Our technology and smarts and ability to be cunning and creative and managerial and relational, relational can be rescued from the fall it is doomed for by being saved by knowing God. Look back at verses 1 through 3 again. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a, great, with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. The queen of Sheba realized that the wisdom concerning God and concerning her world was not gettable through her world. From all she had learned, from all the gods she knew, she had to take all that she was, y'all, all that she had learned, all that she was competent and had glory in, and bring it before Solomon. And remember, traveling back then was not easy. Three months of traveling on a camel without highway patrol and police with the way filled with robbers and ambushes and wild animals and the danger of dying in the desert. So why take such a dangerous trip for a queen? She knew that the only reason why is this. She knew that the only way her knowledge and knowing for, for and her world could find answers for the way her knowledge had brought her to dead ends and hard places and made her heart and mind dark and unknowable and where in all her competency she had lost hope thinking that this or that was not possible. She had to risk life and pride as the queen of her queendom, and come and submit and kneel with confess inadequacy to this king, God's king. So that she could get divine, life-changing, knowing, curse-reversing wisdom. And that came only by relationship with this God-ordained king as her teacher to be his disciple, to walk and talk with him about everything. And the Bible says that she exhausted the relationship and laid it all out before him with all her questions and desires and needs and wants. She let herself take up and take in his glory and wisdom and applied loving and just and righteous knowledge. And she could then and only then return home to face the world, to go to the world after he had given her all that he had to give to her that God had given him to give, right? The cure for our knowing for our desire to be God and then ruining our world and lives, trying to run our lives and world is to know God. To know him first and foremost. Which means being willing, y'all, to take all we have and know in all the ways it has left us with more needs and desires and hopes while at the same time may have given us fame and glory and a good job and attention and acceptance and sit it all as nothing and not much before and without the wisdom of God. Telling God, get this, get me, right? Because I don't get it. I don't got it. I'm a fool, Lord. I've been fooling myself and my world. That life don't make sense, God, if I don't know and worship you as Lord. And for many of us, giving that up to the Lord, submitting our competence as a curse without him, is the longest, hardest, and most dangerous trip you will ever make. 
But do you know what the Bible says? Is the wisdom of God come to us, available to us, whom we are free to visit as king? Because Solomon is dead now. King Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnate, in the flesh king and wisdom of God that not only forms our competency, but brings justice and righteousness and healing and antidote to it. But he not only covers our, covers our incompetency with his wisdom, and he corrects it with his generosity in showing us who and how God is. You want to know wisdom concerning God? Like the queen you will have to pack up your entire life. You will have to take all that is valuable to you and all that you think you have gotten on your own know-how. Nothing short of your whole life. But guess what? You won't have to travel 1,400 miles through the desert. Because the good news is God traveled to us. He came to us. He took the risk so that we, like the Queen of Sheba, can sit at his feet, can have him. Have him. The wisdom of God live in us and with us and speak to us. Jesus has come so that sinners like you and me, coming from fallen and broken world of knowing, can be cured by knowing his grace. By experiencing the generosity of his love so that like the queen, we can tell him all on our mind and heart and have him listen to us and speak back to us through his word, through the means of grace, through the beauty and riches of his community and church and miracles and the ubiquitous power and, and, and voice of his Holy Spirit speaking to us. Jesus the Lord, God the King, came to be our teacher, king, so that we can know God. I'm going to stretch this up much further. Did you know when you see him, only by seeing him and visiting him and him visiting you, can you truly know God? Unlike Solomon, who was a prototype, did you know or forget that Jesus is the exact representation of God for us? As the king on earth, come to earth, knowing him in relation with him is knowing God and visiting with God and God knowing us. The Bible tells us that the queen of Sheba's curse of knowing finds grace and rest because Solomon takes on everything she tells him. We need to take our burdened minds. I want to give you Americans especially some rest. Some of us have a hard time sleeping because we've got to know it all. We can't put our phones down. We've got to know some of y'all can't rest because you know you don't know enough to make things work. You know, sometimes you, some of y'all are going to jobs, some of y'all are in neighborhoods, and you see the big buildings and you see the people, you don't really know them, and you'd be like, man, they know something I don't know, right? The memo never comes across your desk. <laughs> You're wondering what's going on at the White House, what's going on in the upper floors. It's the stress of knowing, as if knowing, then you can control things for yourself. Do you know what it means that the Queen of Sheba could sit there and it says, give him the hardest questions and tell him everything on her mind? She gave up being queen when she was with Solomon and just became a daughter. You know what King Jesus means is the wisdom, the kingdom, the king that's come to us, the king of wisdom. You can give up in the worldly demand 
of knowing in order to be a good mom, a good dad, a good boss, a good teacher, a good this, a good that, worried about losing this and gaining this and this person taking over and all that. You can just be a son and daughter with King Jesus because the thing that will free you from the curse is knowing that God knows. He knows. And if he knows, you can rest. It's grace offered to you. I want you to bring it. Not to me. I'm already tired by my own stuff. We can share. You can bring it to me, but immediately I'm taking it to the king. Some of y'all, you don't pray. You pray, but you're still trying to do it. You know, you praying as subpoint C, right, in your plan to work your life together. You know, I need to do this, do this, do this. So the first three points in your life are things that keep you in charge. And then, oh, yeah, let me top it off with the whipped cream. Pray. So I can tell other people I prayed. Right? Or tell myself I prayed. You haven't traveled far enough. Lay it all. Humble yourself so you can know God and his grace and his love for you. And you can know that he knows all that burdens you. Jesus is the king of wisdom. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We live in a world that tells us if you don't know now, you're lost. If you don't know enough, you're a loser. We thank you. We don't have to be kings and queens. <laughs> we can just be sons and daughters of the king of wisdom. Lord, help us to exercise and believe that truth today. Forgive us for the pride of our competency. Forgive us, Lord, that we have stolen your glory and use it for ourselves. Help us to love neighbor with what we do know. Help us to enjoy the world you've called us to like we do know. And Lord, most importantly, like the queen of Sheba, take our breath away. Take our breath away. Make us so impressed by you that we, the life we live is not worth living if it isn't with you. Help us to worship you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.